Welcome to the Financial Insight Podcast, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. The Financial Insight Podcast is for professional investors only. Thank you. Hello and welcome. Today we're going to be speaking to Alex Arujo. He is a fund manager at MNG and heads up the listed infrastructure fund. On energy security, what are the main issues involved in terms of infrastructure? Right. Well, it's um, the, the infrastructure sector is at the heart of... Uh, the energy security concerns that that are preoccupying the market uh, and society uh, at the moment. Uh, of course, we're we're well aware that not only is Russia a, a huge supplier of natural gas to uh, Western Europe in particular, and so therefore very politically sensitive, but the pipelines that transport that natural gas. Uh, travel through countries like Ukraine and uh, in the midst of what we're experiencing are obviously quite vulnerable. There's, uh, of course, the new pipeline that has yet to be certified that was meant to bring gas from Russia into Germany directly. And, and so these are, these, are, these are obviously very critical assets on which not just Germany but other parts of Western Europe are incredibly dependent. So the conflict has highlighted the importance of... Um, finding a way to secure energy resources. And while many people jump straight to the concept of renewables as a way of ensuring that energy security, that's not that simple, really. Um, First of all, gas is used not only to generate electricity, but, of course, to heat homes and buildings. Uh, It's used for chemical processes, the production of plastics and other products. And so the first step um, before we can electrify things like heat and cooking and uh, other other uses of gas is to find other sources of it. And Europe's natural gas pipeline network is not very well connected. Um, Parts of Europe, such as Spain, uh, Portugal, get their gas from North Africa, which is a whole other uh, potential risk, um, just given uh, potential political volatility in, in, in certain regions, and that does crop up from, from time to time. So liquefied natural gas is is the main stopgap, and, and we've had Germany rush through two new um, gas uh, regasification plants, LNG plants, uh, that were originally projects put on hold. Um, but in the meantime, because these things take time to build, and until renewables are built out at scale, uh, it means that, sadly, uh, coal-fired power needs to uh, continue to be generated, probably for longer than uh, people had thought in parts of Europe, Belgium and, and, and Germany in particular. And nuclear energy, uh, and again in Germany and in Belgium, uh, as examples, will need to be a part of the energy mix for longer than had been foreseen. Uh, ultimately, we would we would hope that renewables will will uh, help fill the gap, particularly um, particularly in uh, offshore wind, where you can where you can build them at squ- at, on, at scale. Um, but but these projects take a lot of time, and we will also need um, other technology solutions around them to ensure sustainable, reliable, consistent electricity generation. So it's a it's a big project. There are short term. Um, solutions, medium-term solutions, long-term solutions, all of which center around infrastructure, whether whether it's the LNG terminals or the gas pipelines, uh, the gas gasification plants, the, the liquefaction plants, uh, the actual renewables themselves, and, and then any of the uh, electricity generating plants that will need to fill the gap in the meantime. 
Great. So yeah, the, so things about the um, energy transition, um, where do you see the challenges and opportunities for infrastructure investment within that space? Sure. Well, I'll start with the opportunities, and, and they do center, of course, around infrastructure, as, as I was just saying, uh, particularly in the medium to longer term. Uh, medium term, we, we need uh, new sources of, of natural gas um, to, to feed the needs of, of Western Europe, uh, Eastern and Western Europe in particular. Uh, that's pipelines, that's LNG terminals. Longer term, we're talking about uh, large-scale renewables uh, filling, filling the gap and potentially new uh, technologies coming into play, in particular hydrogen, which can be linked with uh, large-scale renewable energy uh, generation and adds uh, an additional benefit in the form of its ability to store energy. Because currently, you could build all the renewables you want in the world, but the intermittency of renewable energy generation means that you need a storage solution. And the current storage technology, which centers around batteries specifically, tends to be too short-term. So it means you need baseload, and and typically that baseload is provided by nuclear, very consistent and reliable form of (laughs) clean energy generation, uh, although it is controversial. Uh, But it does mean you will still have to, at the very least, uh, use gas. Uh, in the medium to long term uh, for, for base load until those new technologies come along, which brings me to the challenges. Um, there are still technology advances that need to be made. Um, hydrogen is, a, a, I think, um, a, a, a sort of a golden fleece um, technology for one day, and, and it's becoming closer and closer to becoming reality, but it's still very much early days. Uh, this transition cannot all happen at once. Uh, you, you know, we, Despite some of the political um, suggestions to the contrary, we can't just snap our fingers and build a whole lot of renewables all of a sudden. Uh, there are supply chain uh, considerations. Um, there are permitting and construction phases. There are environmental considerations, even though renewables are, are, are very well accepted by um, by, by society, and, and they're difficult to build. Uh, and at the same time, we've got too much capital chasing too much opportunity. So um, we need to be able to make sure that returns are properly incentivized. So it's not straightforward. I think we all dream of arriving at the same destination, but there are a lot of practicalities um, between now and then, uh, all of which, in, in my own mind, center around infrastructure. I, I guess maybe like a personal question to you. Do these challenges feel overwhelming for uh, to, to you in your position and where you are at this situation? Or does something like this flash in the pan focus minds? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be overwhelming in the sense that, or the challenges can be overwhelming in the sense that we want to arrive at the destination now, but we aren't properly aware of, of what's required. So if we go back to Germany, for example, Germany's uh, electricity network historically consisted of electricity generation next to industrial uh, applications. So the, you know, the, the power plants would feed the auto plants. Um, and so it, with, with, the, with, with three major initiatives, two of which preceding the Ukraine circumstance. We had the German government decide to phase out nuclear power after the Fukushima disaster. We had the German government decide to phase out coal-fired power. 
Um, and so there needed to be a gap filled. And so Germany, already very much aware of this, you know, started incentivizing renewable energy generation and made a huge amount of pro progress. But not everybody wants wind farms um, blocking their view. Not everybody wants big solar farms uh, in their backyard. And so many of these projects have actually been very difficult to, um, to build. They, they will eventually get done or they do get done, but it takes a lot longer than, than people imagine because stakeholder rights uh, are obviously critical in any major long-scale, large-scale construction. Um, and, and then, of course, offshore wind uh, on the north coast is um, big, a big engineering challenge and needs proper incentives and participants and partners to, to be put in place. But even if you get all that in place, then you have to consider the fact that you need to transport that electricity around. And the fact that you're no longer producing electricity right next to where it's needed means you need significant investment in electricity transmission, these, you know, these big, long-haul, high-voltage cables on pylons that, that you see around the countryside. They take a long time to build and a lot of capital. Uh, and so why is it overwhelming? It's overwhelming because a lot has to happen, and it has to, we want it to happen quickly, but it, it's never that, that straightforward. But I'm confident that the uh, initiatives are, are in place. We've got not just in Europe, but globally, a, a magnetically aligned set of uh, societal and political initiatives to, to get this done. Um, and, I, and I think ultimately we'll get there, but we may become quite frustrated. In fact, we do get quite frustrated at how long some of these things take. And sometimes it's really just the practicalities and, and getting the stuff built. You think about um, nuclear power plant builds and how long they take and how difficult they are to permit and, uh, and, and, um, and get built. It's, um, it's a, you know, it's, it's, these are huge undertakings. Okay, so we'll go on to the M&G's portfolio. It's global listed infrastructure. How has uh, your strategy, has it changed in light of the recent global events? Yeah, well, it, the, the strategy itself is 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 a long term investment horizon, buy and hold type of a strategy. So we we tend to invest in businesses we we back for the long term and, and stick with our conviction. We don't tend to modify the portfolio based on top down type expectations or reactively in the face of the kinds of things we're we're experiencing. Except that um, what's what's happened most recently is that we went into. Uh, the Ukrainian conflict with a strategy that is by its nature relatively defensive. These are consistent, reliable, cash flow growing businesses that we hold in the portfolio. And so in the ensuing market volatility, in, in particular when markets came under significant pressure, um, the strategy held up extremely well, has held up extremely well um, year to date, just given its nature, its characteristics. On top of that, um, since we even launched the fund four and a half years ago, we've um, made a, a very uh, high conviction bet on natural gas as a transition fuel, as a required fuel in the energy transition as an intermediate step. This is that short to medium term element that I've been talking about. And we would have never ever wished or certainly not expected for what's happened in the Ukraine to have happened. But as a result of the resulting energy price increases, our um, energy infrastructure, our gas infrastructure businesses have benefited significantly. So what have we done? How have things changed? Well, in circumstances like these, um, when, you, when you've got such strong performance in certain areas of the portfolio, you're working from a, a position of strength. You're on the front foot and you can start to rotate 
capital out of these areas into um, other sectors or, or elements of the portfolio that can potentially benefit further along the line. So it's, it's really about shifting capital within the existing portfolio rather than finding new names or completely divesting existing ones. So we've been doing a, a fair bit of, um, of rotation within the portfolio, and, and part of that has actually moved towards renewables once again. Uh, renewables are an interesting uh, element of, of the market where people get quite excited about energy transition. If we go back to COP26, there was a lot of excitement around renewables, and uh, I think there was a lot of in indiscriminate buying around that, which which sort of, which which kind of um, uh, deflated quite dramatically, and so one has to be very selective, and, and we actually tend to prefer to uh, invest in transition businesses rather than pure renewable businesses, companies that can uh, contribute to the energy transition in two ways by deploying more sustainable forms of electricity generation on the one hand, but also decommissioning uh, more more carbon intensive forms, uh, and those companies. Because they need more work, they're not as straightforward. They tend to, to trade at more attractive valuations. So we feel we'll get the, the re-rating element um, from there. So that's been a, a major thing. And of course, we're, we're also very conscious of inflationary pressures um, in, um, in the global economy and, and, and acting accordingly. Uh, I've never seen inflation in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, for me, this is this is completely new terrain. Mm. So maybe you could tell me um, um, what are your views on global inflation and the inflationary environment yeah. we, we find ourselves yeah. in right now? Well, it, inflation may not be familiar to you, but inflation, uh, funnily enough, is what got me into this industry in the first place. Uh, <laughs> I was a child of the 70s, and as we're all well aware, the late 70s brought its own energy crisis and significant inflationary pressures. And uh, the reason it got me interested in, in this industry is um, that as a result, we had very, very high interest rates. And as a, as a young saver, that was pretty exciting stuff, not having uh, the, the not facing the, the issue of the in inflation or the cost of living, but um, being able to save at very high interest rates. I thought this is this is quite fun. But of course, it's not all fun. And inflation is very real and it's and it's very taxing. Um, and I would say that um, inflation in its purest form, as we're all well aware, is it comes in the, in, in the form of an increased cost of living. If you've uh, filled up your petrol tank uh, any time recently, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I would say that the best protection in, against inflation or, or, or rising cost of living is a rising income. And you can try to get it from your employer. Um, good luck to you. Uh, but the most straightforward way in our minds is to invest in companies that can grow their dividends and therefore grow the income. Um, to to the investor and, and uh, a, a core objective of our global listed infrastructure strategy at M and G is to deliver a growing income to our unit holders every year in base currency terms, which we've been able to do, and uh, we do that by selecting high quality businesses that can grow their cash flow streams and grow their dividends. Uh, and, and some will be able to grow those dividends faster than others in the midst of what we're experiencing. Think of energy infrastructure kinds of businesses. Um, and that's how we would seek to deliver that hedge, if you like, against inflation and a higher cost of living. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Alex, thank you so much for chatting to me today. Yeah, thanks, Pete. That was great. 
The Financial Insight Podcast is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Wherever appropriate, independent research, and wherever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. The value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.